Legendary, the MC, the scholar, Dr. John Ivan Gill. Yo, peep these flows out. We about to go in on profane faith. Come on. I'm like, get it. On a stack from the fifth floor, hidden spaced out. Needles hitting my arm, disappointing my mom. When I get sucked the dark sign, like glaucoma, eyes can't see Yahweh. Cause the seance spike, namaste I got from the sensei. Born in love like revolutionaries. Who from Alves, next in the pool, smoking sets. They call the strand of hash, theopoetics. Jesus uttered these words 2,000 years ago. How are they going to beat ISIS? I don't think it's going to happen. But but he has these bizarre ideas about what Christianity stands for and what it means. Atomic bombs and the second coming of Jesus Christ. And when he does, you will no longer be a homosexual, but you will be a heterosexual. And that's what it means to be white. To say that you're standing on your own ground and standing on somebody else's and then mystify the whole process. This is Profane Faith, a podcast that engages faith on the margins. Faith that has been labeled profane, nonconformist, and or out there. We'll be exploring the intersections of the sacred, secular, and profane to find God. We won't be trying to answer difficult questions. Rather, we'll be engaging them and asking better ones regarding faith, race, gender, and religion. I'm your host, Daniel White Hodge. Hey, 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 out there in podcast land. How's it going? How is it going? So what y'all think of the lyrics and the beats there? That is the amazing John Ivan Gill, Dr. John Ivan Gill, my guest this week. I will introduce him here in a minute, but I definitely wanted to put a shout out to him and his music and the work that he's doing Um this is amazing, brother, and I'm not going to keep this intro. I'm going to keep it short. I'm going to keep it short. I'm going to keep it short because we had an amazing conversation, and I definitely want to get you all to that. Um, but uh, hopefully you all enjoyed uh, your Easter Sunday. Hopefully you uh, celebrated it as best you could, um, given the circumstances. I know a lot of us, um, well, all of us, really, if, if you're doing it right, are on lockdown, and uh, we really... Um, shouldn't be going out. And so hopefully your church, uh, you know, didn't pull any bullshit theology and pull out the uh, God will save us card and hadn't actually physically had that. Hopefully not. Hopefully you did some virtual stuff. Um, but yeah, hopefully you had a great Easter Sunday and um, just a great weekend in general. Um, you know, heading in here to the, another week of COVID-19 uh, lockdown. And, uh, you know, we'll... We'll keep riding it out. I hope you're safe. I hope you're doing well. Um, you know, a couple things this week is, uh, you know, as we're looking out this week and, and thinking about, you know, the virus, we're thinking about, you know, at least here in Illinois, you know, those of you on the West Coast, uh, well, at least I should say in Cali, um, you know, y'all out there, um, you know, 
enjoying some nice weather, but we just starting to get some nice weather. Like this weekend, we actually had a, you know, the sun came out. So it was like, whoa, um, I think that's um, a miracle. And so it's very tempting to not just go out and try to do something because it's like that. It's like the sun is out and finally. So um, that was uh, that was a highlight. And, um, you know, reading some of the news that's uh, come across and and thinking through, uh, again, just the effect of what COVID-19 would do. Uh, I uh, was listening to a few podcasts myself and just listening to just the amount of uh, deaths and the high number of African Americans that have been dying from this is the exacerbation um, of the uh, this virus on already you know t- uh, you know uh, put on with the amount of health issues that we already experience as African Americans and so when you add that into uh, just this viciousness of this virus um, you know it adds, doesn't add up well and so. You know, thinking about that, also thinking about this week, I filled out my 2020 census form. So if you haven't done that yourself, I highly recommend it. Um, I know some of y'all out there kind of hold, um, you know, uh, <laughs> some views on the government and, and, and numbers and all that. But, yo, I'm telling you, fill that joint out. I've done it, uh, you know, as long as I've been alive and and and, 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 and as I could. Um, and so, you know, I got the little thing, went online, boom, 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 and done. So definitely fill that joint out because I'm telling you, there's a lot that gets dependent on that. And also just as a researcher, I depend a lot on those statistics and those numbers because of so much that gets dictated to what the census says. Um, so again, shout out to that. Make sure you hit it up and, um, you know, do 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 that part. You know, get get that in. There is no citizens citizenship question uh, on there. Um, and if there is one, you probably on the wrong website. So make sure, you know, that's happening as well. I think it's interesting just to kind of hear the GOP talk uh, this week. I heard a couple of recordings just about how, you know, because Wisconsin went ahead and had their um their primaries, even against, you know, a lot of the orders of, um, you know, the people, you know, experts, many experts who just said, you know, you shouldn't be doing it. Uh, they went ahead and did it. You know, uh, you have a Democratic governor in um, Wisconsin, but a very much uh, GOP uh, run House and Senate. And of course, the courts are stacked with, uh, you know, with conservative judges. And so they overruled the governor. If you haven't known that, and if you haven't been, you know, keeping up with, you know, different things. And um, of course, they ended up having their primaries and um you know a lot of folks were saying like hey we should do this by mail um and these cats just you know they they they're not hiding it anymore they were just like look if you mail it um you know we're probably not going to be in office anymore because that means that every registered voter is going to get a um you know a ballot and uh you know why would we want that to happen right <laughs> it's just it's amazing to me man the shit's not even you know uh you know it's it's uh i was watching the old school movie clear and present danger uh with my daughter and uh, it's amazing to me just uh, just seeing that in light of if you haven't seen the movie, it's, you know, it's a Harrison Ford uh, movie. Uh, it's uh, what is it? Jack Ryan, uh, part of the series that I know Amazon carries as well. I think it's a Clancy novel novelization of this kind of Boy Scout CIA operative. And anyways, this particular one, you know, is is him. It's ending with him going to the Senate, uh, you know, and and testifying that there was a, uh, you know, some kind of, uh, you know, conspiracy thing. And I'm like, wow. You know, that's like nothing. That's like no ending now because that's like shit. All the damn things that's been happening, 
you know, in this damn government and uh, and whatnot. So I'm always I just, yeah, I just kind of shook my head and add on to that. Um, you know, one of the lines in that movie was about how uh, one of the cartel bosses was trying to get the other cartel boss out and make a deal with the United States government. Uh, in essence, saying that, you know, if they give over the soldiers, they will then in turn, you know, have give the United States, um, they will cut down the amount of product that's cut that's brought in and, and they will also make significant arrests. They'll give them up and, and you know, they'll give up certain people uh, that they'll give arrest to. And, you know, it's amazing just how much fiction is actually really nonfiction. It's really life. I mean, because that that shit has really happened. If you've never checked out the book by Gary Webb, uh, Dark Alliance, uh, I highly recommend it. Uh, he was a journalist, San Jose Mercury, and uh, really popped the cork on this whole, you know, crack cocaine and how the CIA was in bed with, you know, you know, big drug cartels. And not, not only that, I mean, this is even his reason is you know, even nine, eight years ago about how, uh, you know, there are certain uh, individuals who get caught who know they're going to get caught. They'll go through the border with uh, stuff then and uh, they know they're going to get caught. And when they do, they're set up. They go to a prison that's been designated and, um, you know, their families are well taken care of and compensated. And so that's like all this part of the system. So it's very interesting just to see how fiction has come into real life. But again, I don't want to, you know, I'm, I'm taking up too much time already. And, um, but anyway, I just kind of wanted to highlight some of those things and some of the things that, you know, we're watching, of course, being in, in quarantine, you know, going through, going through the old school stuff. So at any rate, hope you're safe. Take care of yourself. Again, social distancing, do all that good stuff. Hopefully you got some toilet paper. <laughs> I'm, I'm starting to run a little low now. So I'm going to have to go out and figure out, you know, maybe the Easter bunny brought me some, some toilet paper. Um, you never know these days and <laughs> whatnot, but at any rate, um, um, I'm hoping that you enjoy this conversation. Hopefully you're somewhere good and maybe you sitting, kicking back right now. Um, and uh, this is going to be a great conversation with the brother, John, Dr. John Ivan Gill, man. He's uh, he's currently a lecturer in English uh, at Pomona College and a lecturer at uh, Cal State Dominguez Hills, uh, Norco College and Claremont School of Theology. This brother, I'm telling you, man, he's doing the, the lecture circuit. Trust me, I know. I know that at one point I was doing 450 miles a week. That's what this brother's doing. OK. Um, he teaches philosophy, religious studies, and theology. He's written multiple articles on Afrofuturism, religion, hip-hop, philosophy, post-structuralism, atheism, and creative writing. Yeah, I'm telling you, this brother's got it all. He can rap. He's a DJ. He's an MC and a scholar. Um, and I'm, I'm thankful to finally actually have him on the show. I've had him on before for commentary, but I really wanted to talk about him, his life, and his new book. Uh, he, uh, he's he got a new book coming out. Uh, actually, I think it's already out by now. Uh, he, he's also, like I said, a hip-hop musician and rapper performing under the name of Gilead Seven uh, as a part of a rap collective uh, called Tomorrow Kings and a co-owner of a serious cart of serious cartoons records uh, host store. Uh, they also sell tape. They're out in San Berdu, California. Um, like I said, this brother's got a new book coming out. Uh, like I said, it, it should be out. It's uh, Underground Rap and Religion uh, Theopoetics Examination. Let's see. Let me make sure I get the right title. And we're going to talk about another thing. I just want to make sure I do the title uh, justice uh, because, you know, got to do got to do my brother right. But uh, Underground Rap is Religion, excuse me, a Theopoetic Examination of a Process Aesthetic Religion. This is part of the uh, studies, Rutledge Studies 
studies in hip hop and religion. If you're not familiar with that, I'll put some links in the show notes, uh, especially for you scholars out there interested in a um, a series on hip hop and religion. Uh, it's a really good series, and I think it's something that uh, you know those of you who are serious about doing some writing uh, should check out as well. So underground rap as religion again, Dr. John Ivan Gill. Um, very fortunate to uh, call him a friend and uh, and uh, just a, a good good down home brother uh, i love the way he thinks uh we met at aar he was presenting a paper and i was like man i gotta be friends with this cat and we've been friends ever since and so i'm very thankful for that and thankful that he had the time to sit down and talk and you know chop it up with rap hip-hop religion and the whole nine so enjoy this conversation stay safe y'all all right stay out those mini ink cartels and get yourself some toilet paper i hate this is your boy dan white hodge check out this conversation peace we're good to go okay Okay. Cool. Cool. All right, all right. Well, folks, I have an amazing brother, friend, colleague, uh, comrade in arms here with us today, Dr. John Gill. Doc, how you doing today, brother? I'm well, I'm well, Doc. How are you? Always, always good to be with you. Man, I'm just glad to finally get you on. I know I had gotten you on. I forgot when. Man, it was, I think it was back in season two I had you on. This um, season two. We talked about um, we talked about the childish Gambino. There we go. That's right. That's right. That's right. The childish Gambino. But now we're talking about your book. Yeah, man. (laughs) That is what's up, man. So this is underground rap as religion, a theopoetic examination of process aesthetic. Religion is put out by Rutledge, man, brother. What um what's the insight behind this man and, and and even before we get to that man what are what are some of the things that folks need to know about you man what, what how did you end up here man aren't you an artist you got a record store man who is John <laughs> Let me see if I can tell that story succinctly mm-hmm. <laughs> but, but 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 yeah um just to kind of give a little bit of a background on on what on what brings me to this place of thinking about underground rap and underground hip hop culture as a religion. Um, I, you know, I am from the South side of Chicago, All right. um, born and born and born and raised there. So it's always good to, you know, communicate with people like yourself who, who are rep the shy now, you know, and who live there and, and, and all that. And it's yes, beautiful, beautiful to kind of have that, you know, connection, but I grew up there. Um, um, I was raised in a charismatic Pentecostal, environment you know i grew up in my uncle's church and um it was a church that was that was in the word of faith vein of charismatic pentecostalism so you know um so in the vein of kenneth hagan fred price etc my uncle was my uncle, uncle was doing work like that and he still is um but you know as a kid i i tried to embraced that tradition and I tried to make it work but it never really made sense to me and totally you know um because my mother would talk about this whole notion of God as creator and well everything that's created has to be has to have a, a, a creator then she would say well but God is not created so my question would be well if everything has to be created and God had to be created too so who created who, who, who created God and these are of course simple questions that we that that the philosophy of religion brings up. I didn't know that at the time. I was a kid. But um <laughs> but the response my mother would say is John be quiet. You know, it just is the way it is. Okay. And so um so I tried to swallow it. I really, I never really did. You know, I had a stint of 
at the age of between eight and ten, I did. I, I did a. I began to do some some fairly in depth research on different religious traditions from Islam, Hinduism, Mormon. I remember I got a book of Mormon one time on my father. So you know that's contradictory, right? And I said, um, yeah, and is that a problem? <laughs> <laughs> and so I was reading all, I was actually doing a lot of research on the occult. I was going to the Woodson Library and just going in, going in the occult section, the paranormal section, just spending hours there. Now, this is all, this is all while I'm in this Pentecostal tradition, which if we look at Pentecostalism, shouldn't really be that much of a stretch because both of those deal with the super rational. So, um, so anyway, but I was beginning to look at, look at these things. I got into listening to rap music at about eight, nine, mm-hmm. 10, you know, um, I'll, you know, I, I, I hate to say this, but I was weird. Um, my, my uncle had these, these recordings of his sermon that, that, that they would sell at the, at the church. And my father and my mother had tons of them at home. So I would begin. So when I, when I first got getting in, in the, in the rap music, you know, this was back in the tape era. I didn't have any blank cassettes, so what oh, did I do? On. I said, well, hey, my uncle tapes it. Nobody listens, so let me just record over, over those. Number <laughs> one. <laughs> and then number two, it was always good cover because if someone asked what you're listening to, you know, in those environments, you're not supposed to be listening to quote-unquote secular music. Yeah. I say, well, I said, well, this is just Uncle Carlton's sermon. I ain't listening to nothing. I mean, this is what it is. So, you know, you know, so you wouldn't even know it was on it. But anyway, I, I started doing that. And then um, I, I, I kind of got out of that after a while. Okay. And, um, and I kind of had this stint in the classic rock where I, where I wanted to be a rock guitarist, you know. So I went into that for three years heavy. And my mother bought me an electric guitar and I kind of started messing around. I kind of, you know, and that was kind of my path. Then at about the age of, man, I won't say the age, I might tell you how old I am. (laughs) (laughs) Come on, Doc. I'm going to look touchy about that these days. I I hear that, man. You know how it go. (laughs) But but, um, so at the age, so I was in... Sophomore in high school, I I can I encountered a rap group called Tunnel Rats, yeah, and I was blown away by what they were doing lyrically. Now this was a quote unquote Christian rap group, but you couldn't tell that by listening to them up front because all I heard was you know and and I was confronted with Christian rap being in the Pentecostal charismatic church. You know that that's pretty much your mainstream um, audio. You know, because that's all you're really allowed to listen to, supposedly, for many people. Okay. So, so I'm like, well, every every other Christian rapper is talking about coming to Jesus and talking about and using the art as a way to prophesize. Tunnel Rats, they had a record called Experience, came out in 96. They're still active now, but they, this record came out in 96. Um, and on the first track, ain't nothing about the gospel. They're like, look, we'll battle anybody. And we will tear anybody's heads off lyrically. Y'all can't rap, you know, and just dynamic displays of lyricism. And I said, now, this is what I need to be doing. I okay. said, this is what I need to. And then I got a hold of Wu-Tang not too, not too long after. Um, and then I said, wow, you know, there's this, this, there's these discussions that are going on in hip hop about Afro-diasporic identity, about ideas of God, about science, about philosophy, history. I see all these things converging with Wu-Tang's doing. A lot of this stuff happened 
and what people understand to be the underground. Okay. So and I, and we'll talk more about that later on, I'm sure. But just but just to but just to kind of um now I'm still in church at this time. Mm-hmm. I wind up going to Judson University, what was Judson College at that time, and okay. I. Uh, and, I, and, I, and I took up a, a degree in biblical study because I, I still wanted to have something to do with ministry um, because I still was trying to reconcile my understanding of the world with Christianity. The, the, the same way an Aristotelian might try and reconcile Aristotle with Christian thoughts and example given the scholastics such as Peter Abelard, Aquinas, etc. So I was doing that sort of thing in my urban context. Okay. You know, and by the time I finished undergrad at Judson, you know, during biblical studies class, you begin to kind of lose this biblical literalism. Because even in an evangelical institution, you are taught how to critically read the biblical text. And you're taught to, and at that point, it became like reading semi-literature. So I said, okay. okay. So so this is all the while I, I'm becoming a rapper. I'm putting out records. I started doing that at about, you know, a few years before I entered. Well, actually, no, I started that probably like my my first year of college. So I'm doing that. I'm putting out records and stuff like that. And then I wound up going to going to seminary because I said, okay, I don't want to be involved in ministry, but I'm still interested in theology. So I went to McCormick, encountered process thought. Okay. Um, and I began to understand. I said, okay, well, process sounds just like hip hop. And I guess I'll talk more about that later too. But by that time, um, I really came to terms with hip hop as being my religion, not Christianity. I was able to use Christian language to talk about hip hop and talk about the world, but that wasn't where my heart is. I, I began to understand and, and began to come to terms with the fact that I found meaning through hip hop. And then that kind of led me on to go to Claremont to work on um, doctoral stuff with Dr. Monica Coleman and other process things. And that's kind of a long, short story of how I get to this whole idea of underground rap as a religion. So, Okay. So, so yeah. That's well. I mean, it's, so this is interesting. This is fascinating because this is this is good stuff. I don't think I even knew about you uh, as well, man. So this is good. So when you uh, so, so let me so let me ask this: when it comes to just like religion and what now what is your approach to religion? Like, man, how do you identify yourself now? Um, how does then that apply to what you're researching and what you're working on? Great question. Great question. And I love this question. <laughs> I yes, love this sir. Question I know you do. <laughs> because throughout the years, I've had so many answers to it. You know, yeah, and, yeah. Um, and and now, um, as, a, as a good white heady in my, my answer has processed into what it is now, which is this, which is for me, religion is anything that a person or group of people used to find a sense of meaning in the world, whether that meaning is, is manufactured, as Monica Miller might say, or whether that, or whether that meaning comes from a place that's hard to, to uh, describe, um, a place that some might call the super rational realm, um, whatever or, or anything in, in between. So whatever orients you to an understanding of the world that helps you to live in it, for me, that's religion. Okay. So, this is a very broad. See, when I when I when I teach world religions or when I teach um, philosophy of religion, or even even when I do lectures on kind of critical method in religion and, and, and theories behind how people understand the concepts of religion, I say this: um, 
I say sometimes we've been we've been taught to think that the world religion, which is a very colonized term anyway, the whole notion of world religion is not a, is, is really a new notion. Okay, there was no Buddhism, Hinduism, um, Islam as we know it, etc. These labels didn't exist before um, Western scholarship began to call these traditions that. So, so, so that's the first thing. Um, the the second thing is when we look at um, what religion means and what and how and how our religion functions in the world as meaning, it begins to be a larger list. So I so I tell my students, okay, well, some might think well it's Islam, Christianity, Judaism, Zoroastrianism. Um, and things along those lines commonly accepted religion. I said, but then I, then I say, look, here's another list. Um, Hinduism, Islam, hip hop, indie rock, okay. painting, Christianity, um, et cetera. So any, any of these things, so what I do, I try to de- demystify these borders that Western categories of religion have put up. So for me, it's all religion. If, if sweeping the floor provides a sense of meaning in the world for you, that's religion for me. And so hip hop is the way that I, especially underground manifestation is the way I kind of see myself oriented in the world. And I see that as a, as a means from which I do justice in the world. And I think that hip hop is justice in the world. So for me, that's religion, nutshell. Wow. I, I mean, and I like that. I like that. I mean, I think that as even in my own process. Right. And I think it's interesting because it was the, the first time I heard of Alfred Whitehead um, was actually through Michael Eric Dyson. He was given a lecture and this was years ago, man. He was given a lecture. I forget okay. where he was given a lect- lecture and he talked about this Whiteheadian process. And I was like, what the hell is that? And so, you know, I started looking it up and stuff, man. And I was like, whoa, I was just blown away. So I love how you said you're connecting this. And even in your your text, I believe you said here, even in chapter one, hip hop infinities is multi-race or multi-race lessness and the Whiteheadian negotiation of ethnicity and the process philosophy of underground hip hop culture. That's some, now that's some shit right there, man, that I'm like, wow. <laughs> that's some new stuff yeah. that goes beyond just the regular, okay, let's analyze these lyrics to see where God is. Or what, what? How they're espousing of God? Um, what's been uh, as you looked at that, and just as you've gone about this, what's been what's been your methodological process? You know, to even coming at a subject like underground hip hop. And as you said, and even if you said, man, you said hip hop is your religion. So I'm sorry, I just wanted to throw that in there, man, because that's some deep shit that I don't think enough people. I don't know if people caught that who were listening. Yeah, I, 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 I'm actually glad that you that you that, that you reinforced it because some are going to say, okay, well, why would you say that? Right. How could right. it be? You know, and especially coming from my now, I can only speak about my experience in evangelical Pentecostal traditions, but in my experience, that's that's heretical. How dare you yeah. say that? Yeah. You know, but 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 there's something powerful about going to church services and then you find out you're sitting there writing raps during the sermon. Come on. You know, like, 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 like it's something powerful to be said about that. After staying up, listening to college radio all night and you finding a new way of looking at the world and this captures your attention more than what the pastor is saying. There's something about that. Um, this, this, this is very powerful, you know, methodology though. Um, and, and see, I do this from both angles. Um, okay. Be- because I, number one, 
I I am a person who was always interested in philosophical and, and or religious thought. And so that's so I bring that mind to it. And 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 this doesn't start at the academy. These are the questions that I was asking my mother. These are the questions I was, you know, beginning to engage in as a kid. So that doesn't start there. Some would say, okay, well, I have this, I was trained this way. Well, I was, but I was, but I was doing this before I was trained in this way. You know, you know, maybe not well. I, I probably still don't do it well, but I was doing this before yeah. I knew what an, academy, what an academy was. So I bring that perspective of of, of a disinterested spectator, which is bullshit because that can never happen. But that's <laughs> how. But, but, but that's how I balance the dichotomy because, see, in process, we like to deal with things that people say don't go together. You know, when we we like we like to say. Um, that it's not this or that, this is that. So this comes, this brings up the other side. The other side is the aesthetic side of things. You know, I, by nature, am a, am a creative person. Um, I, and, and this comes from my mother's side as well. I mean, a lot of people on my mother's side, my aunts and uncles were, were artists. Um, they owned art galleries and they were into, they were into a lot of things like that. Now I didn't, now my mother, didn't grow up with all of her siblings because she has half she she has half siblings. Okay. Um, and they don't see me as nothing but full. So I'm not saying it like that. If y'all listening, I'm just saying it to make a distinction because of um because my mother grew up with the children of her second marriage. So I so I grew up with them more than I grew up with my grandfather's other children. Okay. But when I begin to really get to know them, I'm like, damn, we so much alike. You know, what I mean, we had this one discussion. We were talking about Neil Young. I'm like, I was just listening to Neil Young yesterday, and I'm like, really? I'm like, yeah. Like, you know, just just and just this whole kind of conversation that we. So, I so I'm saying I have to say I didn't grow up with them, but that's in me. And every time I'm I'm around them, it comes out. So I take this to what I do in hip hop. So as being a practitioner of hip hop, I understand the world from that lens. I got you. And 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 so it's that scholar practitioner thing that I mentioned in the text. Mm-hmm. So I so when I'm looking at both of these things, when I'm I'm looking at hip hop, both schools of thought are plastered into my uh, on the, uh, my pupils to see them and on my body to experience them. Yeah. So this comes back to process. Process we come back full circle to that. For me, I saw Whitehead's work doing both the aesthetic things as well as the philosophical things. Okay. So I relate so I related to that and especially the way that Whitehead aesthetically does a philosophy that does not reduce multiplicity. That is that, that is okay with holding things in tension. That is okay with saying, well, this notion of a thing doesn't really exist because the thing you're calling a thing is always in motion. So I apply that to how identity is reshaped in underground rap and hip hop. And how, from, from, from everything from that to understandings of theology or philosophy of religion in hip hop. Okay. This constant, this constant thing that always evolves and always changes and doesn't have to be reduced. Because sometimes when system, we like, we, like, we like to find ways to summarize things and make them succinct. But what happens when you're, yeah. when, when, but what happens when the world oozes outside of your summary? And process is comfortable with that. And so 
What's going on in underground hip hop, both aesthetically and philosophically, I saw Whitehead's work and other process thinkers like Monica Coleman, Roland Faber, Kellen Cather, Catherine Keller, Charles Hartson, et cetera. I saw them doing that work very, very well. That's what's up, man. That's and that and I think that's that's an important way to begin to look at some of these things because again, these are these are areas, particularly of, of the study of religion that we in the black, you know, tradition of religious thought tends to, and I know I remember Anthony Penn bringing this up. It's like you know when you we, we say black theology, typically that is synonymous with Christianity, right? Um, right. And oftentimes it's it's missed and or shunned in some areas. Dare I say uh, that when we say black theology, it could be either the lack thereof, or it can be looking at just just how does where does God show up in spaces besides a Christian Judeo God. Um, I find that very interesting and fascinating, man. And I think your work stands to that. And particularly, again, as you broke down the methodological process, that's that's fascinating, man. Um, so as I'm looking at this book, man, and as I'm thinking through this, man, how have you navigated some of those hallways? I mean, you're in front of students every day. I mean, I know, you know, we've if y'all don't know, there's brother, brother, brother Gill is, 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 uh, is a frequent flyer on the, on the highway, man. Uh, and he is an adjunct, uh, teaching in multiple places. Um, I knew that road well, and, uh, man, my, my heart goes out, man, to, to just you in, you know, in search of jobs. But how are you negotiating some of these conversations now in the Trump era, um, when religion, politics, um, faith, and then you got somebody like Kanye West comes out and you know you got white evangelicals going nuts now because they're like oh my gosh this is hip-hop theology and this is he's talking about jesus and confessing the name of jesus what are some of your thoughts on all that man how do you navigate some of those conversations doc oh boy oh boy this is this is a fun one because this Uh this happens all all the damn time (laughs) <laughs> um, but, but but man, in these in these academies dealing with conversations like this, I, I'll just start with the knee jerk reaction to my definition of religion. Okay. You know? I mean, when I when I when when I bring this up, because I don't I never tell my students to you have to swallow this because I said I say no, just think about it and see what you think. But yeah. it, and some students do, but some students so. Have basically, damn near sent me to hell. Oh, of course. You know, you know, you know over and, and and I teach in mostly secular institutions. You know, now I now and so so this is happening in those places when I bring up these ideas. Where, hmm. like, oh man, hmm. you know, you know, one one student faced off with me when I when when I showed the last temptation of Christ. I was teaching a film and religion class. Oh, he said, "Oh, this this is blasphemous and." And 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 how, how dare there be a movie that showed Jesus with Mary Madeline and having a relationship? Now this is this is um, pre Da Vinci Code. That's the whole thing. <laughs> we can talk. We can talk about that too. Because that whole thing comes from a, another book called Holy Blood and Holy Grail. and that whole story. The legend has been around for almost a thousand years. But, okay. But but um but yeah so yeah so he he was like yeah you know. Um, you know, you're going to hell and shit like this, and you know, you need to, you need, you need to really watch what you're doing. And then, like, and then this whole, this this whole thing about what Kanye's doing, uh-huh. um, and which is, and which what I what I tend to tell people about that, I say, well, if you think this is hip hop theology, why don't you revisit Kanye's work before that? Because I'm going to argue that's more theological than what he's doing now. 
you know? So, so it's, you know, yes, even, I would too. even when he doesn't use the name Jesus, what he's, the, the issues he's attacking in society, the ways of looking at the world, that for me is, is in many ways authentically religious okay. more than what he's doing. And, and, and that's just my opinion. Again. But for me, it's more religious than this, than this, than, than, than what, than, than what he's doing now, which is kind of what I argue to be a shallow type of spirituality. I'm not even judging him. I'm just saying if I was to look at it and, it, and if I was to now putting my analytical hat on, uh-huh. And, I, and, I, and I'm looking at these church movements he's doing. I mean, in my perspective, and I tell people this when they ask me about it, I say, well, this is like swimming in a pool that's three feet in terms of your, in terms of spirituality, in terms of understanding um, how theology connects with the world. Because, it, because to me, I read it as more of an escape from than a confrontation of the world. So, so I, I talk to people about stuff like that, you know, when I, yeah. when I um, and I mean, I try to be as objective about it as probably because people have different opinions about things. And I try to always, you know, um, honor that, but there, but I mean, there's some discussions in the Academy that I, uh, that I do have around these things. Even, even there's a section I do in my ethics class on, um, affirmative action. Oh, okay. And, and boy, boy, do people get uncomfortable in that section. They, they, <laughs> what you, you know, do, Doc? What you do? <laughs> everything and nothing at the same time. All <laughs> right. <laughs> Every, everything and nothing. I mean, I, 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 I have them read through some articles. Um, like, I usually use Michael, Michael Sandel from Harvard, who, who does this mm. sort of work on, and, and, and I have them read through him and kind of look at his perspective but i just kind of open the open the discussion like what y'all think about this and some people are very dismissive like oh well, well this isn't our fault and then some people are well you know what we benefit from it so at the end of the day i just try to foster good conversation that i try not to even conclude for them yeah i just want them i just want to invite them into them and and some and i do get some pushback for that like i mean one time one time i, I had at this talk and i was getting the teaching review Okay. And I'm like, well, you know, I mean, and and um, the, the the professor was in there evaluating, and as soon as I said, as soon as I said, well, I think I was doing a lecture on non-human animals and and um and consumption, and then and then, then we got to start talking about how slavery is similar, and and the possible similarities, and the professor revealed me raised his eyes like, what are you talking about? <laughs> so, so yeah, so yeah. I, 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 I'm turning tables over as much as I can. There you go. You know? <laughs> there you go. That's what I'm talking about, sir. Um, oh man, this is so many. Okay, let me, let me let's get to this book because I got other questions. But this is this is good. Cause see, and those of you listening, these these are the type of conversations that brother John and I have when we get together at AAR when we. Yes. When we are in, in spaces where, you know, we can just begin to think. And that's one of the things I appreciate, which is one of the reasons why I wanted you to come and speak to, you know, my doctoral class a few years back. Um, Thank because you, I thought, I I, I, Oh, man, of course, man, because I, I think it's important that we don't get fixated. One of my problems right now, particularly with African-Americans and Christianity, is that we get fixated on one spot. It's almost like a cat fixated on a laser pointer um right. and right and and, and and the cat's never going to get that laser pointer never it's they can play with it they can try to get it they're never going to get it in fact cat experts will tell you that at some point you actually have to give them something physical otherwise 
they'll get stressed out. They'll get uh, uh, they you know they can they can they can go into different you know they can take that aggression out in different areas if you don't give them something to actually attack. My point in saying all that is is that oftentimes I feel like we as black folk get so fixated on one thing like oh man you know if it's not saying Jesus the right way or if they're not talking about God the right way. Yeah, right. and I'm just I love the work that you're doing because you mess all of that shit up and put it in such a way that people you have to think about it especially if you think about higher learning stuff right when you think about uh, you know graduate level work doctoral level work man it's just, for me you cannot you cannot yeah. overlook Whiteheadian theology you cannot overlook how hip hop shapes religion uh, in in mm-hmm. that sense man so that brings us then to the book brother what right. uh, what's the genesis of it man and why underground thank you thank you great 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 question the, this this work man this and i'm gonna try to be quick with this but this is because this is because now we now we going back yes this, this this work it's for me it started in i took a class with dr deborah mullen who is oh. now the yeah. the dean of columbia theological seminary i believe now she was at mccormick oh, and oh I, is that right and I, yeah she she was she was at mccormick when i was there and she was and and, and that's and that's sister dean to us like that's what that's what that, that's what we, we we used to call her. um but yeah now there was that i was taking a course with her and the course was on um the black church and understandings of spirituality. And so there was a paper I did in that class and it was called, it was a paper on hip hop as a sort of analog to the gospel story, especially the gospel story um, communicated through Afro-Diasporic people in the US. This is very wow. premature stuff. But but she encouraged me to do that work. And, and the next year, now, I had taken a process class at Chicago Theological Seminary, I think that same year, um, and I didn't quite get it. Like, I knew I liked it, but I didn't quite get it. But then the, the next year at the Lutheran School of Theology at Chicago, which, if you know, Chicago is really adjacent to McCormick. They, they, right. they right. share buildings and share resources, so it's almost like the same place. But yeah, um, she was, she, in some ways, <laughs> um, yeah. That, that, that's a that, that's a, that's another story. Yeah, 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 yeah. I got you. I got you. <laughs> yeah, but let me not get in trouble on that. <laughs> but, but um, so Dr. Cohen was offering, of course, it was simply called process theology. So I took that, and that just blew my mind. And I and I said, okay, now I really get it. And so, and in her class, I did a paper that basically was the formation of a lot of what I did in the book. Um, and that paper was really understanding um, how underground hip hop plays with notions of race as a process theology. Okay. So I did so I, so I did that, and that kind of that kind of uh, again premature, but that kind of formulates the basis of how I start the book and how the book kind of plays out. So I mean, so it's it's that now now keep in mind during this whole time. I'm still recording. I'm still doing projects for indie labels. I'm, I'm going on tour. Um, you know, I'm doing all this as a grad student. And then I begin to even to even think further. And you know, and then I and then I because at one point I kept on doing this hip hop and religion thing. You know, and, and I and I, I kept trying to coordinate that with my thought. 
And this is kind of what you see in a lot of the discourse right now, even not just hip hop. I mean, when, when, when people are working with anything aesthetic and doing theology, it's always the aesthetics and religion. But then I said, you know what? Let's get that and the hell out of here. Let's change the word up because the and doesn't describe how I view the world and how and what hip hop means to me. And, and by hip hop and underground hip hop especially, I mean um, uh, resurfacing of the traditional elements of hip hop in unity, in unity, which which would be graffiti, DJing, break dancing, and seeing, you know, as knowledge and understanding, etc. As a hip hopper with a global consciousness underground, you know, all those things make up hip hop. And so, um, as as I began to keep understanding that, and communities who practice that is where I was living around. So as I kept as I as I kept engaging in that, I said no. This and is not really proper. This is really hip hop as religion. So because what I'm doing is a practice that doesn't depend on any established faith tradition to make it work. So, and I mean, and if we look at the origins of, of hip hop and the origins and because what I, I say, that, I say that underground hip hop in many ways is a resurgence of original hip hop it's not the same thing okay but it's but i call it a monument to the to the origins of the culture so i mean mm. so 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 in so in that so in that sense i said um if we look at bambada's philosophy which start the culture in many ways um philosophically where do we see things being pulled from yeah. buddhism judaism yeah. christianity Islam, atheism, civil rights movement, all of this stuff is in the, is in the collective consciousness, KRS one would say, of what hip hop is. And so as underground as we practice that, so I said, this is not no and shit, this is as, you know, and the UN officially recognized hip hop as a religion not too long ago. Um, and, is and that so, right? Yes. Yes, um, um, and the Hip Hop Declaration of Peace, which was signed by several leaders of the culture, I think Cool Herc was there, KRS was there, et cetera. But yeah, yeah. So, so, so this is something that really impacted how the work, the work that I just did, the, the work, the work that just came out, came to be. So I try to honor that by talking about the philosophical side as well as keeping the aesthetics locked intact and kind of trying to. Even though while I was talking about underground rap, illustrating how this is only a part of hip hop culture, yeah. and I'm just focusing on the rap element. You you could do a book on underground graffiti as an aesthetic religion. You could do a book on underground DJing as an aesthetic religion. And and just to kind of push to talk quickly more about why underground. Well, first of all, because because the scholarship hasn't really dealt with it that much. You know, now it has been dealt with. There are some texts that have approached it. Um, I, I'm I, I'm thinking of of, of a few um, Kwame Kwame Harrison's texts. I believe um, Dr. Um, Peterson, James Braxton Peterson, Zachary Scribe, people like that. Who nobody talks about Zachary Scribe, but that's somebody I kind of pull from in my in my work. Okay. But yes, but yeah. So I mean, and 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 so that's the first reason. The second reason is because. There's something I think dynamic that, that that happens when we're talking about underground hip hop consciousness that's that, that's not really explored when you're dealing with more quote unquote 
above surface discussions. Okay. So there's something there's something and for me underground is more of a consciousness than a marketing class because I'm gonna argue that some of the some of Commons works are underground records. Some of Lupe Fiasco's works are underground, some of Queen Latifah stuff is underground, some of Rafferty's stuff is underground, you know, because it's a certain way of thinking, you know, that 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 shows up in this sort of consciousness. So that's kind of why. Shortly. I like and I like that because I was just going to ask the question, like, who would you consider or what would you consider underground when you know, you, and you mentioned some of them. But, you know, how do you know how do, what does that definition look like, especially in the face of so much of commercialization and the, you know, the platforming? I mean, you know, as a musician, I mean, it's like a lot has changed over the last two decades in, 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 in a matter of how we record our music where we record it, where we upload. You talked about cassette tapes. I remember that, man. It's like you'd have to go out and buy these cassette tapes and you, you know, and you got to get the certain kind, the clear kind that you could print on and I got an underground mixtape or whatever, man. But now, none of that stuff really exists and it's about these different platforms and streaming, man. So when it comes to underground, what is... What does that look like? Is is it about streams? What's the message that gets out there? And how, how would you go about de- defining something like that? Yeah, great, great question. And this is something that actually um, Dr. Penn pushed me on, and he kind of helped me to formulate what mm. I was thinking about. Because because he's like, he's like, what do you mean by this? And I'm like, you know what? I need to go back and work on that, Doc. Thank you. Because you know what? Because I mean, it's like, it's not that I, I didn't know it, but I had a hard time verbalizing. Yeah, but, but but now um, this is kind of the way I've seen it, and I and, and I talk about this in the first part of the text. Um, for me, and I think many many people who practice this underground way of life and underground communities around the world would agree, there are four things. Um, the first thing I look at is this unity of the elements. So, for an underground perspective, there is no hip hop with just rap along. Because, because as we know historically, rap. And it's just funny. It's funny we're talking about it because I'm looking because I'm looking at this common record right across the table from me. It's a it's um his vinyl of the one nine 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 song with the dot X, and on this cover, you see common um, b boy. You know, okay. because that's that's something that common used to do at his shows. You would yeah. see him take a break and just start doing some windmills or something like that. You know, you see him up rocking, down rocking or something like that. But anyway, there in the underground consciousness, there, there's a unity of the elements that commercial music has taken from it because there's a reason why when, when people think hip hop, they think rap. They probably wouldn't think graffiti or some people would, but, they, but many of them wouldn't think graffiti stylized DJing and things like that. So underground hip hop, there's an understanding of the unity of these elements. That, that, that this is this is a culture. This is what, yeah. as Whitehead would say, a nexus of social order. It really, and it's a, it's a nexus of social order that really can't be reduced. It keeps evolving in ways beyond which we can understand, I would say, because aesthetics evolve beyond ways we can understand. So, and this is not necessarily a spiritual thing. It's more a thing of excess. Well, you know, I can't capture everything this painting is saying because it really evades me. Yeah. So I think the elements of hip hop in there, as we as we maintain them, they do just that. And I and I have a narrative where I talk about this in the text. It's all I think it's before chapter two. So that's the first thing. The second thing is unbridled creativity. Many many times, 
in the commercial world um, or the or the massy or the or the grossly commercial world because of, because again, underground media and hip hop is in the same places where commercial media is just it's just it's just marketed differently. But it's but it's so but so so that's not really the issue. The 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 issue is um what it's doing. But um unbridled creativity. There are many record labels, many art companies, etc., who deal with the elements who are not trying to constrain artists to do certain things. They're like, okay, well, the reason we brought you on, because there is a capitalism in the underground as well. I would say it's not a gross capitalism, but it's there. There are people who have companies and who have a certain commercial um, vantage point will, will work with you because not because of what they want to make you, but because of who, who you are. I don't want to tell you what to write. I'm fucking with you because I like what you do. So unbridled creativity, um, that's the second thing. The third thing is this whole concept of multiracism, which I talk about in the, in the beginning of the text, multiracism, um, which is this notion of hip hop as a discipline and a way of life challenging the notions of race, not ethnicity, but it's playing with even calling yourself black, white, Latino, Hispanic, Pacific Islander, African-American, Native American, all of these terms, it's playing with that. And, and it's, it's really questioning, do these terms describe who any of us are? And whether these terms, if, they, if these terms start in many ways in colonization, we didn't always have them. What does it mean? to talk about ourselves in these terms, and should we be? KRS sometimes makes a statement, I'm not black, I'm hip hop. Um, right, you right. Know? So so underground hip hop in many ways, there's not this Afro-normativity that it attaches itself to. So, you know, um, because I'm gonna argue that, well, hip hop has several origins, um, and sometimes what's downplayed, even even in the, in, in the Afro-diasporic origins, is the Caribbeanness of them. You know, and maybe, and I, and I mean, my family is, 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 is from, from the Central American Caribbean. So maybe I'm more tuned out than other people. Maybe that's right. I don't I'm know. I'm with you. But, yeah. But but it's like, well, we got we got to talk about Puerto Rico, Jamaica, Dominican Republic, Cuba. We have to talk about these places where these origins, where, where these where the where the founders of the culture came from, yeah. as well as Greece, as well as Japan, as well as China. You know, I mean, these these places that sometimes we forget about. Because of the Afro-normativity, this racial thing yeah. that commercial rap used to sell records. So we have to ask the question, is that, what, is, is, is that the origin of hip-hop? And, and many of the founders would say, hell no, you weren't thinking about that. You know, we, were, we, were, we, were, we, were, we weren't dismissing ethnicity. We, in many ways, were challenging race because race does not describe ethnicity. So... So that's so. So that's one thing you see played with. Um, yeah. And the fourth thing is this mechanism of prophetic critique. I would say even maybe even on um, of Cornell West prophetic fire language. You know, um, okay. there's a there's a thing about the underground nature of hip hop and whatever element that challenges systems of oppression. It starts from that. So and that's something that that that, that doesn't always happen. Um, specifically and maybe spelled out or will, but the element of critique is the basis of the foundation of underground hip hop art so that's a thing as well you know and this is why you see people like crazy legs 
who from Rocksteady Crew, one of the most premier B girl and B boying um, institutions in the world, you see Crazy Legs always working towards social justice. You always see him in Puerto Rico when stuff happens. He's always there, and this is because of his commitment. This, 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 this is something he learns in many ways, not only, but in many ways from his commitment to hip hop culture. Let's do justice in the world. Um, and so these things are embedded in the underground consciousness. And so, like I said, they're communities in which they're, they're independent communities where this stuff happens. Yeah. But they also happen there, but they also happen everywhere. You know, so so I don't so I mean, I don't have to confine myself to a realm that people might look at as this is the underground realm to find this. No, this people do this work everywhere. Yeah, so and so so that's kind of my four things. Island now, I, now that's not a now for me that, that, that that's the way I see it. People yeah. may differ, but for me that's kind of how I look at it. Yes, no, man, boy, I tell you, man, if y'all didn't if y'all didn't catch that, you gonna have to hit rewind right now on on, on the podcast. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Go pick some of that stuff up because what you're doing is just is is taking this into a whole new realm of understanding the deeper meaning right we talk about deep analysis and you know deep culture i mean this is this is the stuff that i've been trying to get out when you but you're articulating it so well and looking at it from this particular perspective because it's like man looking at the underground i mean right it's like yes there's something there and the majority i would say of my research came from underground folks man i didn't necessarily have a chance to get to access many popular popular folks man i was you know i didn't have access to to anybody who's out there man i ain't got um yeah i would have loved to you know what i'm saying right. i would have loved to have talked with kendrick um but right. it's, and, and you know and Ken, don't get me wrong i think kendrick has a, a elements of the underground in him yeah. but at the same time i yeah. also think man there's the 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 capitalistic feature that that is so plaguing hip-hop right it's like well then what what sells what true what is it that's going to get likes that is going to get streamed um and i in right. and, and you know it's like I, man i don't i struggle with that because it's like man there's so much a plethora of everything you just got through saying just the complexities of what how people go about finding spirituality and fi- finding some kind of cadence within a a a, a sense of deity that is not mm-hmm. traditionally found right in in a church, I mean, I'll just be honest. I mean, that's one of the reasons why I don't go to church. It's just you just can't. There, at least the way church is set up right now, in the Judeo-Christian sense, there is mm-hmm. really not a lot of space to seek anything. You, you, you hit, you run up against borderlines real quick. Um, All day, right? And it's just like you know, and especially if white folks are in control of it, it's like it's just it's going to be this. Um, you know, you, it's good. And then, it, you know, then it turns racial. Then it's just like, well, you know, the, and, you know, it's just like, and then, you know, white fragility comes out and all that shit. Yeah. Um, so mm-hmm. who are some of the folks, man? And I know this is a, this a question and I hate when people ask me, so I'm not going to ask you like, oh, who's your top artist? No, but but who are some of the folks <laughs> that you listen to, man, that uh, that that, you know, and, and it doesn't necessarily even have to be rap music. I think that's the other thing. I mean, at least as I hear yeah. you. You know, you're, we're looking at a, a canon, a, a a continuum of of how art is put together. Um, it could right. be paintings, it could be music. I mean, I think about funk from the '70s, not just yes. Parliament, um, and how those those yeah, how those things come together. So I'm just, I'm right now, I'm, I'm looking at my um, 
my my what I'm currently listening to on Spotify, man. I got Benny the Butcher, DJ Green nice. Lantern, man. And nice. I'm just trying yeah. to figure out, man, who's some of the things that you listen to. And it's like for me, when I hear that shit, I'm just like, yes, right. God damn it, yes. Right. Now see now see now now see now that's now that vein, Benny and another Griselda cats, like, you know, um, Conway and uh Westside Gun, people like now. Now, now that's now that's what many people would call an underground shit right there. Yeah, <laughs> you know, like, yeah. like you know that that shit. Yeah, I mean, the old dudes are doing some really, really good stuff. I'm gonna I'm gonna go back and go forward to Come that on. because Come because, on. because um, now I'm just gonna talk about for me, you know, as as an artist when I my first full length record was called The Dark Room: The Abandonment of Christendom. Years wow. ago, I did this record. Wow. <laughs> And and basically what I what what I what I, I was doing in that record, um, I was telling the journey of a person who was frustrated with Christianity and left. And now a lot of it's kind of allegorical because you could listen to it song by song and not tell what the fuck I'm doing. But <laughs> but 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 it, but it was but it was almost like a modern day prodigal son narrative type thing. And this okay. is and and I did this when I still identified with. Christianity, but I was just experimenting with some things. So, 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 so. Anyway, a lot of what was a lot of what I was listening to at the time when I when I when I, when I wrote that record was um, Susan McKeown, who was um, a Celtic artist. She's actually one of, one of the biggest artists in the and what uh, people at one time called the modern Celtic renewal. She had a record called Lowlands, and um, and she was actually using a lot of instrumentation from all over over the world for her own form of Celtic music. So I was really influenced by her writing and her mood. I would listen to a lot of Tori Amos at that time, um, especially under the pink and from the choir girl hotel. One of the samples actually showed up in the dark room record. I had somebody sample one of her tracks for that wow. shit. Wow. Um, but that's that's a big that that was for that time was a big was a big I would listen to a bunch of cool G rap. Mm. Legendary legendary MC Breeze Bruin, Juggernauts, um, Queen Heroin juggernauts um yeah there are a lot of things i would listen to it at that so i was just saying that i have to say what inspires me to make art comes from everywhere you know it comes from everywhere and so um i mean currently i've been been revisiting uh, rock marciano's newest project marcia allegro i think is very very dope and listening to that in terms of hip-hop shit um I always return to the work of ASAP Rock, not Ace, not 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 ASAP Rocky, ASAP yeah, yeah. like 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 ASAP Fable, because I don't always get those confused. But but um but 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 ASAP Rock always I always I'm gonna, he just dropped a new video I think I want to say yesterday. Oh wow! So check so check that shit out. Um, what else am I listening to? Um, I think I mentioned Invincible, who was a really who was a really dope MC from Detroit. I'm. I got turned on to her like years ago. Listening to this dude's son, she was on his record, and I was like, "Man, this is crazy." Um, who, who else? Um, yeah, there are a lot. There, I mean, I'm listening to a lot of drum and bass right now. You know, um, that's kind of one of my things. I like drum and bass a lot. I've never got to make it, but I, li- I like it a lot. So, yeah, yeah. So um, yeah, a lot of the Lindsman stuff is pretty cool. Um, but yeah, I'm kind of. All over the place, man. You know, um, th- th- this record we just got in our store. Um, Jorge Ben, who is um, a Brazilian artist, who kind of who kind of fluctuates between samba and bossa nova. 
been okay. listening to his shit recently. Like it's um yeah, we I'm just kinda all over the place with that. But yeah, so I like and yeah, I don't really like you say, I don't really do this whole top MC type thing. I always laugh at that shit. It's like, okay. Well as soon as you say somebody's the dopest, there's somebody in a corner in Chile somewhere. Yeah. Who's yeah. writing and doing something way doper than what anybody you know is doing. So I'm like, yeah, <laughs> right. Like, like I, 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 I can tell you who 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 I fuck with right now, but I stay away from the top ten shit and top fifty shit. I was man, I'm like, this is very interesting. <laughs> this is right. Why, how did you say that? Right, yeah. right, man. One well, and I love the 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 breadth of of artists that you listen to and just the genres that. And I think for me, as I've told folks, I think that's really true hip hop, right? It's like that's what makes hip hop. It's like the the uniqueness and the combination of different music genres and how those things come together, um, you know, into yeah. a song, right? Um, and, yeah. and you know, and I and, and I definitely don't want to um, I'm not you know leave here without not mentioning, man, because you're an, you're an artist again. I want to emphasize that for folks, man. You got an MC. You just mentioned an album and stuff like that, man. You got a, a, a record store that you are, you know, that you, you curate and whatnot, man. How, what's, what's that all about? It, you know, did that connect with the book? The, you know, and, and I know, cause I remember that one time I was in Cali, man, you was, you was doing shows and shit, man. So you got, you yeah. got the shit going on. You got academia and you got the, you got you know, the DJ, well, not not DJ, but you got the MC in. Yeah. Actually, you know what? It's funny you said it because I'm, because I've been DJing a lot too. And that's just something that I picked up. Me and um, the co-owner, Michael Adame, who is also known in the art world as Phantom Threat. Um, yeah, we, we're the co-owners of Serious Cartoons, I guess in taste, but people started bringing us, because they liked our taste in music, they, they, they started bringing us out to DJ. And so I kind of started doing that for the, and the, I want to say the past, the past year, we, we've done a lot of DJing, me and him. But but okay. so, but so 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 that's what I'm starting to pick up. But yeah, you know, I mean, many when you met me, I think I was still in my grad program, and I probably was on a hiatus because sometimes I would just take breaks and just go on the road, like you know, just just like like actually me and Thread, we just we used to just book shows and just go. And I'm like, I'm I'm fucking tired of this classroom shit, man. Let's get the fuck out of here. I'm like, it's not, you know, <laughs> you know, because because I wasn't teaching at the time. I'm like, I'm not getting no money here. You know, not that I'm getting right. much on the road either. But uh, but I mean, at least I'm expressing and I'm being and, and, and I can, you know, be free. I can, you know, sell some records. I press up something, you know, and, and, and sell it and stuff. I mean, there was a time when I was living totally off my art, you know, and, and, wow. and that shit was kind of was 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 rough. I was I was in Chicago at the time still okay. I was between jobs. But I mean, you know, it was basically like, OK, if you go out, you don't sell no records, man. Nigga, you ain't eating. So, yeah. so it was awesome. It was awesome shit like that. So you met me in. 13. This is after that period. I mean, I was still kind of on the road, you know, but but yeah, I mean, serious cartoons, it came together where, because Mike and I, we always, I think both of us always wanted to work in record store. We used to work at a graffiti shop called GCS, Globe Clothing. If you see me at AAR, you see me wearing a GCS jacket. Okay. That's from that store. So Mike and I, we used to both work there and there are three locations. There's one in Santana, which is still there. Um, but yeah, so we learned a lot from there. One day we was driving around. We like, you know, we need to we need to get a record store. And literally within three months we had it. It just wow. it just it just happened, you know. And and I don't even say it just happened. There's something important people about manifesting through words. I'm starting to really see that, you know. And and it's funny 
as an MC, I'm just recognizing the power of that now. I should have known that shit really for ages ago. I mean, I came, I mean, I came with a fucking word of faith first. How could I not really realize that? But I mean, I'm starting to really see there's a power behind what you put into the universe. Yes, and so, sir. Um, and so, yeah, that came within within three months. We had it. Um, and it serves as a cultural center, a venue, a record store, a place where people can come and just deal with us. You know, I mean, we got couches in there. You can just come sit, listen to records, you know, while you're while you're picking your selections. If you want to talk through something with us, we'll probably listen to you and stuff like that. You know, it's it's seeming to serve. It's It's been serving as a nice place where 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 younger people can come and just kind of explore, which we really enjoy that. So, you know, because. Yeah, I mean, it's, and if we can avoid, we can help people avoid the artistic pitfalls that we come into. We can, by all means, we do it. And so, yeah, all of this stuff fits into my work as a quote-unquote scholar, because I would say the scholar work is everywhere, but the work that people call scholarly, what I'm doing in my record store, what I'm doing as an artist, it informs that, you know, so... If I didn't have this, my scholarship would be shit, you know. Okay. So, so I mean, that's kind of that's kind of the way I see. It. I don't see a demarcation between either as well. I just, you know, one is the other. Right. For me. Well, and I do too, man. And I think that's what is one of the things that makes you so unique, um, and why I, I'm dumbfounded as to why you are not in 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 a tenured position right now in some goddamn <laughs> university. Because I'm like, man, every time I write a letter for you, man, it's like this brother out here doing shit that's unique. That is exactly what we talk about when we saw talk about you know emerging pedagogical strategies and shit, man. So I'm just like, man, it. Shit is just dumbfounding, man. Um, Doc, this has been amazing, man. This uh, The book is Underground Rap as Religion, a theopoetic examination of a process aesthetic religion. It's out by Rutledge. Hopefully by the airing of this, the book should be out. I'll put the link in the show notes. Doc, where can folks find you, man? What uh, you know, If they want to bring you out and they're like, hey, why have we never heard of this guy? We have an opening right now. Is this right? We can fit you in right now. Yes, and I will, and I will take them all. So, so, so I, will, I will, I will take them all. Yes. So, if you people, thank you once again for listening. I really, really appreciate you, and Doc. I appreciate you again for bringing me on. All that stuff, man. It's always a pleasure to build with you, man. Always. Um, people can contact me at John J O N at John Ivangill.com. That's that's where I send all inquiries related to things like this too. You, 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 you can also find me at, on Twitter at Gilead7Advent. I also do a series um, called Advent Hip Hop and Theological Reflection Workshops with my friend Ivy Focus, who is in one of my rap crews, Tomorrow Kings. I'm in a rap crew called Tomorrow Kings. I also operate as a solo artist at Gilead7. You can find Tomorrow Kings on Twitter as well, on Spotify. We had a, we, I, I, I had a record in 2013. It was called Nigger Rig Time Machine, and we're putting some other stuff together right now, but that album is available to listen to. But Dominic and I, we do these workshops where we kind of talk about hip-hop as a religion and understanding the world through different lenses. Dominic was once an evangelical who converted to Moorish science, which is a form of Afro-diasporic and other Islams okay. in the United States. So, so he now identifies... As Dominic Pettis L. All right. Um, 
And so from his perspective of coming from Christianity to more science, and my perspective from coming out of Christianity to me, I would say, yeah. um, we, we talk about this, we've been doing it in different colleges, universities. So if you want to bring us out, you can find us on Twitter at Advent Series 101. There is a promo video on YouTube for what, for what me and him do, and it's listed as Advent um, this is Advent Short. If you type it in, in, in YouTube, you'll find it. And just put either of our names and it'll come up. That's what's but up. That's, that's basically about it. That's what's mm-hmm. up. And again, for those listening, as always, or if this is your first time, you can go to whitehodgepodcast.com, click on Profane Faith. The latest episode will come up, and you can click on the show notes, and all these links and more will be there. Um, and you can, you know, bring this bring this brother out, man. I mean, this is, you know, we always talk about, oh, who's out there? Who I just want to learn more. It's like, look, let's change the narrative up a little bit. Bring Dr. John Gill and his crew out to your place and pay that brother. Don't be talking about, you know, oh, we got $50. Like, no. Now, pay that brother to come out, man. Get him in a nice hotel and uh, and hook Amen. him up. Shoot. Amen. I'd appreciate it. I, I like, hear that. We well, Doc, <laughs> we I have so many more questions, but we, that just means we're going to have to get you back on the show. I want definitely want to be conscious of time and your time, man. But thank you so much just for sharing and talking a little bit about your book and, and what you do. Dude, thank you so much, Doc. Man, it really, it's always a pleasure, and, it's the, and and your and your questions brought some things out of me. And I thank you so much for that. Absolutely, so, absolutely. Definitely, definitely, definitely. Profane faith in the house. You know the way we do this. Yes, sir. All day. Yes. It's been a while. Shit, but I always kind of slipped With a moonwalker to my destination Running a place with every line I was saying hmm. When I see the streets, my mouth move Blowing heat Kilts off kilter and loose Litter my beats Now you shout that man hot But before hip-hop I rap thistle and shamrock And even took dips and glam rock Flower child in your baby With me called the G. Woodson Library held the green records And I took them Rap shit was a brain shift I dealt with anger When you was the patient Containing the rage of blazing flameless The couple into a flick Snap and capture a frame with A phrase that persuades a fan base To amazement There's some throwback shit I had to do I mean tomorrow I've got a boomerang style That will always come back to you Like YCA rehearsing to Tires, pavement pounder with G7 and TK flyers. HBK torch waving live on air. JD made an amazing potion liquid lounge to the underground in the basement. Used to meet in Columbia, class was last thing in mind. Packs of arts kids gather, spit, and hopefully shine. I studied the verses of icons, but press and rewind. Saw the decaying specimens that dissected in lab. B boy face on me, me countless beast like Rodney. Cause there was something about that dusty sample that got me. Turned from terribly sloppy to cold to the polarized sake. Flip a style that you might copy. Becoming a Main stay close to the stages of a fame play. Short games of paintball than L. Ray Falls. But I was never consumed with that. And a killer priest entered from then to now. For me, it was always about rap. Don't you ever doubt that. I close open mic listens with veteran Ram Pistons. Might as well not even sign it. Considering my bright wit that can lead the eyes of the sage blinded. Always had the game by the throat, but never choked. Guaranteed if I grab it again, I'm straight going for broke. Yo. 